The Secret Library podcast is brought to you in part by the generous support of our Patreon members. To support the show for as little as $1 a month and get content year-round even when we're not in season on the show, check out patreon.com slash secretlibrary. Many thanks as well to everyone who visits secretlibrarypodcast.com slash review to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference and helps many others find the show. So thank you, thank you for doing that. This is the Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to Season 3, The Nourished Writer. My guest today is Amy McNee. She is the author of two nonfiction books, For the Perfectionist and For the Procrastinator, and the creator of two online courses. She coaches dozens of beautiful creatives, helping them write books, make art, and do business. She has been speaking, writing, and teaching creative living for over six years. You can find her on YouTube, Instagram, or your podcast app. You may know Amy as Inspired to Write on Instagram, where her handwritten messages held up to the camera have been such a source of fierce yet gentle support. I've been inspired by Amy's approach to creativity, and I knew I had to have her on because I enjoy her message and I think her books are incredibly supportive, but also because her journaling compendium and journaling course have been such a breakthrough, both for me as well as many students and clients I've referred them to. We have so many messages that we are carrying, and one of the most nourishing things we can do is to challenge those messages about what it means to be a writer, what it means to be a creative, and to start taking them apart and seeing if they really work for us. In addition, Amy had a really excellent episode of her podcast, Unpublished, about the damaging aspects of hustle culture and how feeling like we have to suffer and grind it out in order to write is damaging both us and our creativity. So between all of that, I knew we would have plenty to talk about, which we did. And it was great fun speaking with Amy, and I'm delighted to share this conversation. I hope this supports you in taking a gentle and fierce approach to your creativity gentle with yourself, but also fiercely protective of what you're trying to do with your writing. She's a powerhouse, and I know you'll love her too. I'm delighted to introduce Amy McNee. Hey, Amy, thank you so much for coming on. It is my absolute pleasure. I'm very excited. Yeah, it's I knew, I knew I had to talk to you about The Nourished Writer. (laughs) And because you have been such a resource that I keep just, have you done the journaling compendium? Have you done it? Have you done it to my clients? Because (laughs) one of the differences that you delineated really early on in that, which I thought was pretty revolutionary. And I have to say, as someone who's journaled since I was 11, I was like, well, I'll check this out because I'm into it, but I'm probably, you know, I probably know what's going on with journaling. But when you differentiated between stressing on the pages and dismantling your thought processes, that was pretty, pretty altering for me. So I'm wondering if you could talk about that concept and how you sorted that concept difference out for yourself. 
Totally. I love that that resonated for you because that was a big game changer for me too. Um, because I think so many of us have a journaling practice where we just feed into our cycles and we feed into what we're already, you know, it's already very messy in our mind and on the pages, it kind of makes it even more messy and we enhance our stress and we sit in uh, the stories about ourselves that are shitty and we just like basically brew more and more and more of the crap that's going on in our mind anyway. And so for me, I had to realize that like stressing on the pages um, wasn't serving me. And what, what was serving me was looking at the stories behind the stress. And it was just kind of going one layer deeper and really looking at the stories I was telling myself. Um, and that required me to look at my stress and to look at like the, you know, the mundane kind of bitching and, oh, this is really freaking me out. And I really don't want to do this. And I have stories about this. It, it required me to look at that on the pages, but then I had to go that one step further. So I always allow stress in my journal. I always allow the mundane in inverted commas. I always allow, you know, that kind of chitter chatter in your mind that is not particularly high frequency, but then I always make sure that I, I look beyond that and I can't leave my journaling pages until I've done that. You know, what stories are playing here? Do I not feel that I'm enough? What am I actually afraid of? And just gently and compassionately looking at what's actually going on for me rather than just like kind of perpetuating the same stories and the same stresses over and over again, which we're really good at doing. Um, so yeah, just going that one layer deeper was where my journaling really took off for me and allowed me to heal and grow. Yeah, that is such a big difference because I think we feel all of this pressure. It's like, there's this pressure that builds up. At least that's my experience of it. It's like a physical pressure. I got to get it out. And then you mm. get it out, but it's like, you've, you've cut something out and then you're just leaving it there as like a gaping yeah. injury. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The other process that you talked about that I think is so important is the idea of mothering yourself in the mm. journal. And I'm wondering how did that is that something you figured out organically? How did that start to happen? It was very organic. It was a voice that I literally found on the pages that I'd never used internally before. I'd never used it in my internal monologue. I was in it when I first started journaling, I was very depressed, really stuck in my stories, high stress, high anxiety, very, it was a lot. Um, and I know a lot of people who have experience with journaling when they're in those spaces find that again, as I said, it's just a reflection of the same shit. And it just feels like you're getting kind of double the crap. Um, but I was finding at the end of my journaling um, sessions that I could access a voice that took care of me in a way that I don't think I've ever been cared for before. And it was, maybe it came from the fact that I write fiction. It was almost like a make-believe character or something. And she just came in. She's a part of me. She just came in and sat me down and was like, fuck, look at all this shit you wrote about today. Isn't that heavy? Like, this has been so hard. She was a big validator for me at the beginning. Just like, wow, look at what's happened. This is fucking shit. No wonder you're not feeling so good. You know, I totally understand why you feel like this. And that's how she kind of originated on the pages. And I call her the mother because it's this very gentle, compassionate, permission-giving, validating voice that gave me the space to feel my pain, but also allowed me to heal my relationship with Seth. And she gave me a way in which to take care of myself that was unlike I'd ever been cared for before. And then as I moved on, that voice developed from being just validating and giving myself space to feel pain to, uh, you know, 
giving me kind of options as to how we could move forwards, always gently, never with any sort of disciplinarian tones, always just giving out ideas, reminding me that, um, that I'm enough, reminding me that I can, you know, always tap out, go get a cup of tea. She was an extremely loving voice that I literally found on the pages and she revolutionized everything. It's so fun when that happens because the one I think that we hear the most loudly in terms of these, you know, sub parts that we have of ourselves is the critic. Like you can hear the critic. I can hear the critic right now. Um, You know, it's always there. It's loud. It's bossy. It's aggressive. It has lots of things to say. And so I feel like stressing on the pages is almost like just giving the critic the microphone and letting them rant. And to know that we have other options is huge. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts about if people feel like, I mean, I did, I was like, oh God, I don't know who this is. And it was hard to connect to that self. If you have ideas as to how people can start to build a relationship with this part that may feel forced and artificial at first. Yeah, I speak to a lot of creatives and journalists who are like, I love this idea, but it feels fucking weird. And I don't (laughs) feel like it has any like validity. I just feel like, you know, it's make-believe. And that's totally fine, I think. And I think it's just a sign that this is something we need to explore. Um, And maybe your mothering is going to look different to the way that I mother myself. Um, But I think a lot of it can require going back and to when you were a child and almost creating that dialogue with a younger version of yourself and being like, what did you need? What parenting did you receive that really, you know, was helpful, but also what didn't you receive that you really felt like you needed? And how can I step up now and reparent my younger self in a way that perhaps I was never parented before? Or, you know, exacerbate or return to some of the parenting that I did get that really did serve me. And for me, it was really it was treating myself like a young child again. Um, and I think that's kind of how I access that voice. Um, I think, you know, as adults, we kind of think that we don't need to be taken care of in that way anymore. Um, but there's nothing more soothing than just giving yourself the space that you would give a child, um, you know, to have the tantrum, to ask what they need. Uh, you know, do they need a timeout? What can I do for you? Um, so I really saw it as like a parental voice, but um, one that I've, you know, completely new and revolutionary parental voice um, that came from a place of everything incredible about my parents and everything that I never got from my parents. And so I think that can be a really great place to start journaling from. What do you want? What did you want? Even creating actual like answer, question, answer dialogue with your past self, I think can really help kind of articulate what this voice could look like for you. Yeah, because also the other thing that seems to happen is that there's a lot of drama I don't know how else to put it around the concept of, am I a real writer? You know, am I really doing this? And that we constantly are trying to seek validation and proof, even though, you know, and we're, we're seeking it from a society that's really not going to give it to us in the way that we want. Talk about like Mm -hmm. not getting the parenting that we want. We're not going to get that from the society. And so we kind of have to give it to ourselves, but if we need to do that through a mothering internal, you know, fairy godmother of, of writing or whatever, then that I think is enough. But if you can connect to that voice, um, I know you have lots of thoughts on this. (laughs) 
First of all, I love the fairy godmother aspect of that. Like, oh, love her. Maybe, the, yeah, maybe she is my fairy godmother. Um, yeah, giving self-given permission was where I, I, that was the key to my success now. That was the key to my joy now, my magic now. And self-given permission, I think, was definitely, der- it's derived from my journaling practice and derived from that voice on the pages. Um um, because you're right, like, you know, we have to validate ourselves before we get validated by the external world. If we're ever going to get validated by the external world, we have to give ourselves permission before we seek from that external world. And journaling is is a place where you can start cultivating that. And it isn't easy because, you know, we have been taught to respect and hold external validation as, you know, the prime holy God of all validation ever. Um, but we can learn to start uh, validating self and holding space for ourselves and giving permission for ourselves to claim the title artist, claim the title writer through the pages. And if you take this practice diligently enough, if you're consistently showing up on the pages, the stuff that you write down there, even if you really struggle and it grates against your soul for a long time, it does begin to sink in and you can truly write new stories if you're willing to every day show up and write the uncomfortable shit. Yeah. Yeah, right. The uncomfortable shit. Absolutely. Because it's, you know, we have been programmed and we have also programmed ourselves to make these connections and they're physical connections in your brain that you're trying to rewire. It's not just like, okay, I'll believe this new fun, happy story. It doesn't work that way. You have to change the habit of how you think, which Mm -hmm. is harder than most people realize. Yeah. It takes such a long time. It's creating these new neural pathways, creating new stories. Um, I remember I was literally reflecting on this this morning as I was journaling and I was, I was giving myself permission to really reflect on how far I've come. Um, and I remember when I first started my first journal, I remember thinking oh, maybe by the end of this journal, like I won't be sitting here with these oppressive stories, you know, and this real self-hatred, maybe by the end of this journal. And it was not by the end of this journal, you know, it was by, the, you know, three or four journals time, but it was fucking by three or four journals time. And I'm a different woman than I am back then, but this requires deep patience um and yeah deep commitment to showing up each day it's amazing because we think okay I've been giving myself a hard time my entire life and you know we're rushing we're trying to get everything done and then immediately we're like okay I'm gonna be better but I'm gonna make myself do it on a really unreasonable timeline (laughs) that inner critic is pervasive she's everywhere you know it's it is so important that we start creating other voices to to help nourish us but yeah the inner critic's like yeah I'll get on board with this but we're going to do it in six weeks yeah it's like they're going to run it like a like a tech scrum or something (laughs) you know it's just so intense and that brings me to other voices that come in because we have these unreasonable expectations we're also fighting for validation so that's sort of our foundation Mm -hmm. often coming into this and then we adapt to that or we try to tolerate it by either becoming really perfectionistic or procrastinating or both which are topics you've explored extensively and very helpfully so I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about how you wrestled specifically with procrastination and perfectionism in the journal and how that helped to change those stories. Yeah. I think what revolutionized my, my relationship with both procrastination and perfectionism. And as you said, the two are like intimate buddies. 
um, is that I wanted to fight fire with fire. I wanted to fight my perfectionist who's like my inner critic, very like type A, she's a bit of a bitch with type A, bit of a bitch. Like let's <laughs> fucking just stop it. And what I what I needed to do and what I write about in my books is like we need to take a few steps back and stop fucking beating ourselves up because we're already beating ourselves up for not showing up for the work. We're already beating up ourselves because we're perfectionists and we're never going to reach our unreachable standards. And combating these two issues that are getting in the way of us writing our books and creating our art cannot be done by being an asshole to ourselves. And that's the biggest lesson. And so we have to be gentle and we have to be compassionate. And yes, discipline is involved, but it's compassionate discipline and it's a really different approach to how you think it's going to look. And so for me, that was stepping back and again, looking at a lot of cultural stories, like we can't deal with procrastination while we're still hoarding around the beliefs that laziness is like a toxic thing and we can never rest. And, you know, we've got to make, make, make in order to feel our worth. Like we have to realize that, you know, right now we are, we are worthy before we can you know, deal with our procrastination issues. And similarly with perfectionism, we have to recognize that the inner critic who requires us to have these perfect standards is really just a fucking terrified part of ourselves that doesn't want to get hurt. And we can't approach that part of ourselves with a disciplinarian, like mistrunchable kind of attitude. We need to take care of that part of ourselves uh, compassionately and gently. Um, And so breaking these habits, I suppose, if you want to call them like that, or breaking these patterns and stories that we've been telling ourselves needs to be done compassionately, which means we need to access a part of ourselves that's able to be gentle and kind to ourselves as we you know, undo these narratives that are holding us back from creative abundance. Yeah. I had this image as you were talking about, you know, bitchy type A critic fighting it with bitchy type A. It just feels like mean girls, you know, it's just like, we, we kind of, it's like, okay, I'm going to be the stronger mean girl. It's like, well, you're still in the system. You kind of have to be exactly the person above the system looking into it to make shifts. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. We need to step outside uh, the game that's being played. And I think a lot of the time, a lot of the advice that was given um, creatives, authors around procrastination and perfectionism is just like how to manipulate the game a bit within the game. Whereas if we really want to create long lasting change and have a creative career and a relationship with ourselves that is like truly healthy and thriving, we need to step out. Just like you said, it's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. The thing I always think about with the critic, like you said, it's a scared, terrified part of ourselves. I always think of it Mm -hmm. like a faulty smoke detector. It's like we have this detector that's, you know, it's trying to protect us and not be in a house when it's burning down. But the problem is it's going off like when we open the window, you know, and we're Mm -hmm. just like, okay, I get that you want me to be safe and you don't want me to burn down, you know, but the building is not burning. You think the building Mm -hmm. is burning just because I'm writing a book. And yes, that's going to change things. And yes, it may expose me to things that I wasn't exposed to before, but the building is not burning down. That is such a beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah. Just constantly. And we don't need to like get angry at the fire alarm. You know, I mean, yeah, it's fucking annoying and you want to smash it. But really (laughs) (laughs) the answer is being like, hey, you know what? I, I literally, I just opened the window and you're perfectly safe right now. And if we could just do, you know, another, you know, hour session together, you know, and we're going to get through this and everything is going to be totally fine and safe. And that's the approach that I take and I teach uh, as to how to deal with these, you know, really, really fucking prevalent issues that writers and artists experience. Yeah. Cause you can't ignore it when these things go off. It's like, I think nope. a lot of the advice is like, okay, just ignore the fact that there is a loud screaming, shrieking indicator that you're not 
safe happening right now. Mm. And that's like trying to write when there's like a fire alarm going by, you know, on the oh street. God. It's just like, I can't think. Mm. And you have to address that before you can like sit down and peacefully write whatever word goal you have for that day, which may also be incredibly unreasonable. I can, yeah, exactly. I completely agree. I think if we don't notice the stories that we have going on and if we uh, want to just suppress and ignore, and I totally get why we want to do that because it's really painful and it's very difficult to work through. But if we don't notice, we don't acknowledge, then we'll never heal because we don't know what we're dealing with. So I think it's rare also, we also seem to think that it's only us having this experience. Like, I'm the only one who's freaking out when I sit down to write this thing. Everybody else is peacefully, you know, sipping their tea in their attractively torn sweater and just getting on with it. But I'm here in a sweating heap thinking that something very dangerous is happening. Why is that? And it's not. Everybody's doing it. We're just not talking about it. I completely and utterly agree. And having the, you know, the privilege of being a creative coach and getting to talk to so many authors, like, I think it's literally everyone. Oh yeah. <laughs> Me too. I mean, interviewed hundreds, hundreds. it's yeah. everybody, everybody. Yeah. It's everyone. Um, and I think that's part of what I feel like I'm called to do, which is just like, let's talk about it. Let's, let's literally just talk about it. Cause you know, I write, I wrote the book. I wrote a book about procrastination and I wrote a book about perfectionism and it affects me every single day. Still, this is big work. This is life-changing work. And it's work that I presume I will be doing until I die. And, you know, it, it will get better and better. I'm going to move through it, but I'm, I'm going to learn, but like, this is, you know, big stories that we've taken on and it's going to take a long time to deconstruct and it's okay. Literally everyone's working through it. Yeah. And I think the more that we can talk about it, the better it will be for everybody because then we can look at, okay, it's not just me. Then we can look at, okay, what's this culture that we've built together somehow intentionally or probably largely unintentionally to create this kind of thinking, which is debilitating. Yeah. It's so important. These kind of discussions are so important. I think the other thing is, is that we as, as writers in particular, it's very difficult to be gentle with ourselves because we're always comparing our early work with people's finished work. So if you go to a bookshop, you're not going to pick up like, oh, could I please have draft three of this book? I don't want to read the final one. Could I, could you get me draft three? Like that's not available. So we're always looking at, wouldn't that be so amazing? (laughs) I would love that be so good. Yeah. That's such an important point. Like I think, as you said, it's really specific to writers because it's such a mammoth of a creative project and there's so many drafting stages. We really have that issue thrust upon us and we need to make sure that we are dealing with, again, it's compassion when we're doing our draft one, that we have to be so compassionate with ourselves. Yeah. And even, I mean, other art firms, like you can see artist sketches, you know, you can see how they were thinking yeah. on the page. That's something that's available, but we don't really get to see that with writing. And then, you know, you sit down, you read this book and it reads like they just sat down and typed the whole thing in one go. And we know that's not true, but mm-hmm. it's like our inner perfectionist tells us, oh, well, they might have. It reads like they might have. <laughs> Why doesn't yours read like that? Ugh, uh, brutal. Yeah. 
it's brutal. I think that's, you know, why we have big imposter syndrome with writers, you know, and fraudulent feelings, you know, it's difficult. What we do is really hard. And there's so many stories that like it's fertile ground for these kind of stories that we're not enough, that they're so much better that we could never get to where they could get to. And so, as I, I mean, I always say this, like, if you want to be a novelist, if you want to write books, then get ready to do all the inner work, you know, cause you've got to face it all. Like you were about to just like take a massive fucking ride on getting to know yourself and knowing your weaknesses. And if you want to, it's an opportunity for you to level up and, you know, find huge amounts of healing and growth. Um, but novel writing will do that to you because it really does. It reveals it all. It does. And I think it's, I think that's important though, because I think we only think about the resulting book. And so I'm always telling people, I mean, even if, even if you put this book out and it's someone's favorite book and they read it many, many times, they're still not going to spend as much time with it as you are as the writer. So you deserve to benefit just as much from the writing process as anyone who reads it later. I've never heard anyone say it like that, but that is so wonderful and so true. I love it. So one of the things that, um, that you've talked about also that I wanted to get into is this, you know, the stages by which you write your creative work. And so we're, we, even if we get past like, okay, am I allowed to do this? Okay. Am I even allowed to try to write this, which a lot of people struggle. So let's say we've gotten past that point and you're in there mm-hmm. and you're, you're working with your perfectionist and your procrastinator, but then the structure of how you actually create the book is still grounds for potential potholes, mm-hmm. I guess. And one of them is the level of goal you set yourself on a regular basis. So I know you have thoughts about this. I have many, but it's, it's sort of the pervasiveness. You had a recent episode actually, that was so helpful about like the toxicity of hustle culture and okay, if I'm going to write this book, fine, but I'm going to really beat myself up all the way through it to do it at an unreasonable pace. Thoughts. Oh yeah. I got, I got lots of thoughts about this and I get really, I'm not very rigid about anything that I teach or do, but this one, like, I think it's, it's for me and for so many writers that I work with, like small baby goals, I just have just been so integral to the creation of their books. And so when I write a book, I write 500 words a day. And obviously that's mostly helpful during draft one process because editing gets a bit more confusing and it's not as tangible, but 500 words a day is my minimum. It could take me 10 minutes. It doesn't fucking matter how long it takes me, but I do 500 words a day. The amount of authors I've worked with in the past who just want to do 5,000 words a day, 2,000 words a day. And it's too much and we'll have big fights about it because that's what they want. They want to feel like they're just getting it done. And I'm like, you can do 2000 words a day. That's totally fine. But your minimum has to be 500 and that has to be your actual minimum, which means when you've done 500 words, you think, fuck yeah, I can go do whatever I fuck I want now. Yeah. And yeah, the the smaller the goals are, the more your relationship with yourself is going to thrive. Uh, procrastinators have issues with following through on promises with themselves. We ghost ourselves as procrastinators. We say we're going to do 3000 words this weekend and then we don't follow through and our relationship with ourselves is broken and our trust is betrayed. By doing 500 words a day, we constantly set promises for ourselves that we can follow through on and we believe ourselves and we have a, a, a trust in ourselves and our creative self that is so important to doing a project like a novel. 
we need the faith in ourselves. And that's what 500 words a day gives me. Absolutely. I think because we think we're being ambitious when we set a really big word count goal. But I always tell people that actually that's the critic setting that goal because they want you to fail. And they, you know, it's like, I remember the best analogy I can have. I remember one day I was like in my mid twenties and I was like, I'm going to start running today. And I went out the front door and I went at like full speed and I am not an athlete. Full, full stop. I mean, I'm a book person and I always spent all my time as a kid reading, not running. And so I got like a block and a half down and I was destroyed. And then I didn't run again for like three years, maybe even five, because I was just like, and that to me is what an unreasonable word count goal does to you. It's like, you don't deserve to feel successful unless you've written 2000 words in a day. And then you try and then you think I can't do this. And then what are you left with at the end of it? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah. That's such a great analogy. You know, exercise and writing always go hand in hand. Don't they? Very, they, they really have a, no, honestly, I can never believe it. Like they always have that really great link. Um, and I have resonate deeply with that running story. Yeah. I love that. I completely agree. And I think there's, you know, a lot to discuss here with, you know, we get a massive dopamine hit when we say we're going to do, you know, massive goals. It makes us feel really good. Uh, a lot of people do that with like marathon running and, you know, again, it's a lot of sports stuff. I'm going to run a marathon, gives us a massive hit of adrenaline, dopamine to the point where our body feels like we've already done the thing and we haven't, and we have to do, you know, very arduous training to get to a marathon just as with a book. Um, so we have to be careful with those goals. And I don't ever mean to say that we can't have massive goals because we should have, you know, we're allowed to dream. And I always want to give permission for people to dream big and to want lots. But when it comes to the actual creation process, like have massive dreams and, you know, whatever the fuck you want to do, go for that. But the creation process has to be really fucking compassionate to you. Um, and that for me means really small, small word limits. Yeah. I think it's because if you can't, you have to do something, like you said, you have to keep, make promises that you can keep because you want to have a feeling of success every time you come to writing. And if you have a, a sense of failure, every time you come to writing, then why would you want to do it? Like, why would you want to keep doing something yeah. where you're like, yeah, I feel painful. like shit every time I do this, oh boy, I better keep doing it. And I think by setting smaller word count goals, I think the other thing, I don't know if if you feel this way, but I definitely do. We put our sense of where the feeling of celebration and success and enjoyment is going to be in the wrong place. Like for me, I don't know if I'm like spoiler alert here, but when I finish a draft or when I hit a big milestone, I'm excited for like 15 minutes and then I'm kind of sad that it's over. So you think, oh, I want to get to the good part. I'm going to write 2000 words a day and I'm going to get through this draft really fast. It's going to be sad when you finish it, like hang out with it longer because writing it is the fun part. I don't know if yeah. that's true for you. Oh no, that resonates deeply. I mean, I had a big journey with moving benchmark benchmarks. Like I would, you know, want to get to this amount of, you know, words and I'd be like, then I'll celebrate. And then when I get there, I'd be like, meh. <laughs> I'll be like, yay. And then I move on <laughs> and then I move the benchmark further. And, and that, that's been an issue I've struggled with all my life. And humans are really prone to doing that, which means we don't ever celebrate. And it means we don't, uh, we've got a strange 
uh, definition of success uh, that isn't going to fulfill us, I think. And it's exactly what you said. And I think it's it's quite cheesy to say, but, you know, it really is the journey. And that isn't, again, I, I felt like whenever I used to hear people say that, I'd be like, yeah, but are you, I felt like it was almost wasn't giving me room to have big goals. Mm. And so I don't mean it in that way. Like I always want to give ample permission and I want to validate people's big goals because it's fucking cool and really important that we have, you know, vision, but that doesn't mean that we, that the journey isn't the success and that the journey can't be the delight and play and fun. Um, and that we, we need to focus on that and we need to realize when we're in it, because if we've got our sights only set on the vision, um, we miss that. Yeah, we do. Because it's it's one small moment. And the other thing that's so maddening to me is like how much amnesia the critic has. It's like you take these 500 word steps, you know, and eventually your last 500 word step gets you to the end. And it will say, mm-hmm. and, you, and you're supposed to celebrate. You've got it all planned. You're like, I'm going to do my thing. That's great. And then it's like, well, you just wrote 500 words today. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> it doesn't acknowledge the fact that you've done this. Like, a thousand times or whatever. Yeah. Asking yourself, why are you afraid to celebrate or oh, why yeah. are you not allowing yourself to sit in your success is a really good journaling prompt. And I think, you know, it will be different for each of us, but we are not good at celebrating ourselves and we need to look at why that is um, and unpack that because there'll be baggage there. Oh, Yeah. The other one that you had was, oh yeah, the other one you had that I thought was really rich in this area was, um, what if you got everything you wanted? How would you feel? And often there's like a sense of, oh, of dread because when I've had big goals and then achieve them, I'm almost like, who am I now? You know, mm. without this kind of longing for something more, if you suddenly have it, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do with myself? Huge, huge question. And something that I've been thinking a lot about recently as I hit some of my goals and I'm like, oh God, like (laughs) (laughs) who, who did I think I would be when I got here? Because I'm still me. And, um, and yeah, like learning how to celebrate, learning how to, how to relish success. It's just been such a big learning curve for me. I think the other thing that's essential is to look at why we're writing. And I feel like I've gotten to the point where I'm sometimes exhausted because I feel like there are questions that come up that are initially feel really profound and then they get turned into memes. And I feel like your why is now kind of a meme in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. Sort of like I got really tired of the, like, what's your purpose? And that made me feel like you had to prove you were valuable by having a purpose and you couldn't just be like a human being. So I'm, I think that part of it is that in some ways, because of the way we go through education, we're always trying to do something for a grade. And it's like, once we've completed it, it's like we've completed the class and now we're waiting for someone else to to judge our efforts. And I feel like, again, this is another system we have to get outside of. Oh my God. I could talk about the education system so much. I mean, I was graded from like, we were ranked in uh, my school, like from one to last. I can't believe that. Crazy. And, you know, just 
fed into, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of kids' perfectionism stories um, and wanting to be number one and under, thinking that we were ranked from one to last. I came last in French, last. Like, what does that do to a kid? Um, and and how did we, you know, inherit and bring those stories out into the to the our creative lives and into our lives in general, it impacts us and investigating how education has informed the way that you approach writing your books is really important. Um, I know for me, you want someone to give you that grade. We're just waiting for someone to be like, A, or you're number one. Um, And it's not going to happen. And so what do we do with that silence? What do we do when we don't get that response? And we have to figure out what we do. And when we get a type of success, is it going to feel like that? Is it going to feel like you were given an A or is it going to be different? And for me, it's really different. Like it's not like a school system. It's not as clean cut, you know? And so we have to, we, we need to start really looking at what's happening here, the stories that are playing, what have we inherited and, and understanding that it's different now. And we need to look at our goal setting and our bench post moving in a really different light. And I think a lot of that is about focusing back in on what you're creating why you're creating it. And I understand why you don't like that, what your purpose is. Cause again, that, and that's kind of, it feeds into the hustle culture. You need to be, you know, doing something to have, you know, meaning, but just like, I guess it will be different for each person, but like, why, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And just asking those kind of questions, which mm-hmm. can be quite imposing, but are really important. Yeah. I think it's the way that you ask it that changes it. If you're like, okay, mm-hmm. does this matter to me? is to me a very different question and serving me is this getting me where I want to go um and that you're allowed to ask that yeah and also something again that journaling brought up for me recently you're allowed to be like oh no it's not serving me yeah anymore and that's huge, especially for an artist, as novelist, anyone who does long form art, like it's a big question to have to be brave enough to ask yourself when you're midway through a fucking book, you know, is this actually what I want to be doing? Like, is this actually what I want to be doing? And being brave enough to be like, no, maybe not is huge. Um, yeah. Big questions. Well, I think the things that you learn are being able to check in with yourself. This is why I love having writing for yourself as well as writing you might want someone to read someday going alongside of each other because you can keep tuning into yourself and figuring out okay how do I feel about this how do I feel about this because a lot of us are tone deaf to it because we've given that we've been trained to give that responsibility up you know we're we're doing it the way somebody else told us to do it and then we get graded on how well we did it based on how they did it. And then we wonder why it's difficult for us to motivate ourselves um, because we haven't been trained to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge, um, I think it's just, for me, it was like, oh, I get to choose how to do this. And that was a big shock, I think, and a massive learning curve. And I think a lot of us, and I witnessed a lot of creatives really, as you said, like trying to attach to other ways of people are doing it or like trying to seek out, especially like people and I have absolutely no issue with this whatsoever, but lots of people trying to, you know, searching out MFAs and, and, yep. and education systems again to write their book because they want that structure and they want someone to tell them that they did a good job and then give them the, the fucking stamp, uh, which I totally understand why we're craving that. Uh, but the bravery of, of just being like, okay, well, I'm going to need to figure this out for myself is so big, so courageous. I think it's also, yeah. it's fun because it's something you can hack, um, which 
yeah, I have mixed words about the word hack, but anyway, it's, I will do my chunk of words every day. If I put my own sticker on my calendar that says I did it. So there is residual stuff that you can use to your advantage. You can give yourself the sticker. You can give yourself the stamp. And I'm telling you, it feels amazing. I love that. I love that. And I think that's totally like, I, I think using some of the systems that we've, you know, we've been given and to our own advantage, it's that self-given permission. It's that self-mothering. It's reparenting ourselves by using the tools we were given and then using them for ourselves. It's that's, a, that's such a clever idea. And I really love that. I think the thing that I want to go back to that you said at the, you know, earlier on is that you'll have awareness of this being difficult for you as writers, mm -hmm. but it may not happen in one journal and to be okay with it. So I'm wondering if you have thoughts for people who are listening to this thinking, oh man, I've got a lot to do as to how to take care of yourself, knowing that this is an ongoing process and it's not something you can just check off your list this week. There is so much magic in the journey and it isn't, you know, where I am today. And as I looked back this morning and I reflected on that first journal, it's not like I've only just gained happiness and magic and abundance right now. There was magic and abundance and joy and presentness and, you know, so much healing and so much growth throughout that whole journey. And I am so grateful to that path that I took. And it's definitely, and I think that's exactly what we were just talking about. It's not getting from A to B and there's so much in between there to really freaking enjoy, especially if you are going down this path of learning how to be compassionate to yourself, compassionate to your inner artist, compassionate to your inner child. There is so much to delight in that journey uh, as we, we learn to look after ourselves and care for ourselves um, and heal that part of ourselves that's that wounded inner child. It's a really exciting, big, terrifying but deeply magical journey to go on and there's so much to look forward to yeah yeah I think that's 100% 100% true so mm. it has been such a joy I think we could go on for hours but I'm so grateful we had this time <laughs> thank you so much truly I feel like I could talk for so long I'm so grateful Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.